Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. If you're listening on podcast, we also are on video doing this very podcast on our YouTube channel, The Sawala Adelie. Video, that's very analogue, isn't it? That's what they say on YouTube. There's no such thing as a video anymore. It's so weird. Um, Yeah. So you can watch us if you fancy over there. Poor Mark is struggling a bit with a cough. If I have to keep clearing my throat, I do apologise. And if I sound bunged up and nasally and it's bassy, because it's because I am. So I'm sorry. Um, but that's okay. We're around our kitchen table where the aunt and uncle that you wish you had, that you could just run things by. We are not professionals. We choose the problems that come in carefully very carefully and um what we do is we just share our experiences we don't advise and if you are listening and you think oh this has got nothing to do with me this problem just just listen on because sometimes um we miss the similarities by just focusing on the differences and um yeah I think there's always something for everybody, don't you? In whose ever problem it is. Yeah, it's not about. Agree? It's not about because, of course, no no one can have gone through everything everyone else has gone through. So it's not that. But in every problem, I always immediately put myself in the position of you know if this was my daughter or my mm. child or my wife or you know friend if this was someone kind of coming to me with this problem, quite literally, what advice would I give based upon? Um, the kind of myriad of experiences we've been through as a family. You know, we've lost track of the list of mental health issues (laughs) that we all share and have and, you know, are struggling through. We've had every conceivable type of therapy apart from the one where they electrocute your head. Um, But, you know, we've kind of done, we've done everything. We've pretty much been there, done that and, and, and been around the block. So, and even in the more extreme cases, we also know people who've been through things. So, yeah, I think this is not about providing professional solutions, but it is about a sort of, you know, a shoulder to cry on, to share with, to chew the cud with. And I suppose rather than advise, what we're doing is we just we try to listen and just respond. Mm, that exactly. would be what it is we do here. If that's if this is your first time, and if it's not your first time, you've been listening to us for ages, please do. If you're listening on podcast, like, subscribe, same on uh, YouTube. Right, I'm going to kick off. There's a lot in here. There's a lot in this problem that Mark and I have experienced of in in different ways. Not exactly, of course, because your experience is your own, but we really felt that this spoke to both of us. No, I'm just looking off to the same uh, letter that we've received, Mm. if I'm looking over here. Just have a slurp of water. So, my husband, 40, and I'm 36, have been together for 15 years, married for 10. My husband suffers with depression and is an alcoholic but sober for 16 years and awaiting diagnosis for ADHD. This June was a real low point where he was hospitalised with his depression but was able to get on new antidepressants with dopamine in them and has been making progress in his recovery along with his weekly therapist. The problem is that I've recently found out I'm pregnant which was not planned Generally, and while I never suffer any sort of depression or anxiety, I've been a ball of nerves since I found out, worrying about the impact of this on our two daughters and the extra workload that I'll naturally carry on on a daily basis, because you're also full-time employed. Along with the extra workload when my husband is having a tough episode and naturally worried that everything is going well with the pregnancy and the baby is healthy and has a heartbeat, etc. Lots on your plate, basically. 
I've spoken to him about my concerns and he has assured me that this time he will continue with his tablets and therapy as I explain that I've reached my quota of stress. But I'm struggling to believe his promises as he's let me down in the past. I explained that each time I had a child, three or four months after he has hit a low point and I need him to take his mental health seriously and do the work this time. I know I can manage the girls myself and the baby, but can't take him on as well when I'll still be recovering from the birth. He assures me that as this is a new tablet, it suits him much better. And when he stopped taking his antidepressants numerous times in the past, it was because his doctor had refused to move him off the old prescription where he, from which he didn't feel any relief from his symptoms. Am I right to have concerns or should I just let go of my worries and enjoy this new journey? Wow, <laughs> this spoke to both Mark and I in so many different ways, didn't it? First of all, congratulations on the pregnancy. And straight away, I want to acknowledge that for both of you, what a journey. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, together for 15 years, Mark and I have been married for 20. Your husband's sober for 16, Mark's sober for 18. We are both, we both have ADHD. Mark has, you know, also suffers from depression. Um, and there's a lot here that, that really, that I think we really empathise with. So first of all, and you might think this is strange, um, I just want to acknowledge what your husband has done so far it's been you know it's a lot isn't it he's you know he's he's stayed sober he's been prescribed with the wrong medication over years that is devastating for both you and him and you entirely as a family it's just awful he and you have been a done a disservice by that it, especially it sounds like you had a very unsympathetic GP and how terrifying for you and for him that he ended up hospitalised with this. So all of that is, is, is loads more than most people would have to deal with in a whole lifetime. So my very first thought here is, no wonder you feel nervous at a time that you are pregnant as well. That postman. That's our postman at a time that you are pregnant. Now, you say here that your husband um, is feeling a lot better on the medication and that he has promised that he's going to stick to his medication this time and he's weekly therapist. So all of these things make me feel, as I'm reading this, a bit safer for you. He's got a therapist, he's made this promise. He's not making a promise on the old medication he's making this promise on the new medication so if everything you say that he said is as it is that is an amazing place to start because i think both mark and i would agree those were all the things that we would say that you need to get in place to start feeling a bit safer what i would add to that is um that maybe I don't know whether you've sat down. It sounds like you have quite a good communication because it sounds like you've already said to him you're feeling anxious and worried as to whether he's going to maintain everything and he's answered that he will. But maybe 
maybe what you could do is just agree that every week, I don't know what you think about this, Mark, that you just, you sit down, you set aside some time, you actually talk about where you're at because, and Mark will be better on this than, than I am, but I can definitely see sometimes when Mark is retreating, if he's struggling with his mental health, and that can be the time as the partner of that person that you can also retreat because you think, oh, what's going on here? Is this something that I talk about? Or is this something that I let just pass by because it might just be a little bump or is it? And I think that when you're pregnant, those anxieties can, can increase. So I, I personally think if every week you had a set time where you sit down and you talk about it, and that you make a promise to each other that you're going to be as honest as you can without anybody taking offence. I think that could that could be a really good security blanket, not only for you, though of course I'm here for you as a woman, but for him, because I, I also really empathise for him. And there is so much pressure on men, isn't there, in a different way when somebody is pregnant. You've said, oh, I can manage with the kids, I can manage with full-time work, I can manage with the baby. But I would imagine... He would want you to also say, and I also want to lean on you, and maybe you're too scared of that, which I can completely understand, because of his mental health. So you're, you'll be in the vibe where you're always, you're thinking about all these other people, but you're constantly managing the mental health balance for your husband. Um, so, and, and I think Mark would identify with the three to four month thing. I think we found with the babe with our girls there was you definitely had a low i mean we didn't know at that point that you were bipolar um, um yeah i mean it's interesting it's interesting i mean because there's so much detail in this that, mm. that you've given us a lot and yet i feel i want to ask so many more questions um about it again you know i echo what nadia says it's an astonishing achievement to stay sober for a day in this c culture that we live in it really is um, but I think really a lot of what's going on here or a lot of what I feel you're describing keeps tugging me back to uh, the, the nature of your partner's sobriety, uh, the nature of his recovery and how he stays sober, um, the extent to which... Um, because, you know, when you talk about this idea of, um, you know, having been let down in the past and taking drugs and not taking drugs. And I realised that a lot of that was to do with the kind of incompatibility of the right drugs and all that sort of stuff, which Nadia's talked about. Um, you know, alcoholism can be active without a drop of alcohol in someone. Um, sometimes in a more sort of, sort of hidden and corrosive fashion. Now, that's not what I'm necessarily saying is happening here. But in terms of what sort of constant care and advice, and I know he's in, in therapy, whether he's in a 12-step programme or, or what have you, or whether he knows other people who are sober, whether he has other sort of friends who are also fathers. You know, I think it's very hard sometimes to, for the person who's, who's not an addict or an alcoholic, to understand that we can, as alcoholics or recovering alcoholics, sober people who have a problem with addiction, we can still um, sabotage ourselves. We can still run away from open dialogue. We can still hide. We can still conceal. We can still get secretive. We can still feel shame and guilt and worry. And I think, as Nadia was kind of teeing up there, I think it's not talked about enough the extent to which having a child for a man is a potentially massive 
uh, thing. It, obviously, there's all the positives. Let's park all the positives to the side. We all accept totally how wonderful it is to have a family, to have children, what have you. But as you sort of mentioned in here, you worry about things as, as di it was really stark when you said, I worry, has it got a heartbeat? You know, you, we, it's a moment of great excitement, pregnancy and having a baby, but it's a moment of huge fear and um, a loss of control. And that loss of control is felt really keenly for men because it's quite literally not happening in your own body. I mean, I'm not saying for a minute that that means every woman who's pregnant is in control, not at all. But men are that one step removed even further from even being able to kind of just feel whatever it means to be pregnant. And so I do wonder whether, you know, the extent to which, you know, you felt that he's had this wobble or this step away or this back off or, or what have you with, with the other children. And it would make me want to ask more questions about the nature uh, and the and the ways in which you fell pregnant again. I mean, obviously, I know you fell pregnant, but you know, where were you at in the relationship? Was it a shared decision? Was it a sort of accidentally on purpose moment? You know, how how has this come about? Has would you say? And it, it's not a negative thing to kind of ask these kind of questions of yourselves. Is one of you more into having another baby than the other? Uh, was one of you more into having babies than the other? You know, all these things for the alcoholic mind. And this is why I'm sort of coming back in a big circle is that, yes, he's put the drink down, and that is brilliant. But it doesn't mean that all of these swishing emotions and conflicting fears and a sense, though not necessarily reality, which is often the case in most relationships, of not being able to voice stuff, not because you're not letting him, but a lot of people will provide themselves with the hurdles to be able to voice things. It's not through anyone else's fault. You know, I write, and Nadia often says this, I write the script of what other people are saying, and often it's inaccurate, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's totally off, off, off point. So, you know, the extent to which, yes, there's medication, yes, there's therapy, but also, you know, he may be, he may be struggling still, or he might have areas of his sobriety, uh, which makes it difficult for these moments of having babies and the, and the, and the, and the time afterwards. I struggled. I struggled massively. I mean, I, and, and it doesn't come from a not wanting, it comes from a fear of, for me, it was having had two children already, ironically, they're not in the same setup as you. Um, it was the fear of, have I got what is needed of me for another living creature in the world when it's whatever the setup is with the original two, that's stretching me to full emotional tilt anyway. And I think going back to what Nadia says, the best, best option here is to talk, is to have some almost kind of AA meeting between the two of yourselves, you know, once a week, where, you know, you don't even necessarily, you know, going back to what we do sometimes with uh, couples therapy, you, you, it's not even about cross-sharing cross or talking about what they've said, having a safe space to say exactly what you feel. He'll, he'll be conversant with that if he is in a 12-step programme. And also, I don't know if you've ever yourself gone to Al-Anon, which is for the families and friends and loved ones of people struggling with addiction, mm. because then it's a space where it's just about you. Mm. Because you can get just swallowed up in another person's addiction and mental health conditions um, through nobody's fault, but it's just it, some, it, it's necessary when you're just getting on with the day-to-day -day life to constantly make, you know... Allowances, allowances yeah. and yeah. to constantly think about I mean, like sometimes Mark gets annoyed with me when he says like you know oh god does everything have to be put down to my mental health but actually you do and I think you might I don't one does 
go, well, you know, maybe this is actually because they're feeling this way because of X, Y, Z. It's just what you naturally start, well, I think a nice person naturally starts doing. And that can be really exhausting. And so maybe this is a time where actually, again, looking back to you saying, I can look after the kids, I can do this, I can do that. Maybe mm. you could risk being a little bit vulnerable with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And maybe in the conversations you could say, do you know what? Reading back, hearing Nadia read out my letter, if you did feel this, you could say, I, re I heard me saying that I'm dealing with everything. What, what, what else could you put on your shoulders for me? What could you take? Because that might help him feel more involved and more necessary in the whole thing rather than you coping and you getting on. You've had to do that. It's been absolutely life-saving. It's been totally necessary. Mm. But what if what he says really is true and he feels a lot better on this medication and he feels supported with his, with his therapist? You know, maybe because you've been let down, well, both of you have been let down by misdiagnosis and bad prescriptions, because both of you have let down, you've, you, of course, you're not going to trust at this point when you're pregnant, you've got to keep the shit up. But maybe that vulnerability shared with him will let him step up to the plate a bit more. Mm. And in case you haven't listened to any of other pod podcasts before, I just realised neither Mark and I have actually explained what this thing is that they do. At, um, so if you've heard this before, I apologise, that they do with um, in couples counselling, which is you, you set a timer for whatever time, five minutes, five minutes each, and the other one does not interrupt at all. You're not to say a thing. You just have to listen. And you don't have to, so you, I might sit here, if I was you, and I might say to Mark, you know, I'm just really worried, and da-da-da, and da-da-da. And Mark wouldn't have to absolutely answer that. He could talk about what he's feeling, or you can answer each other, but you must only do it in your own time. And it's, it's a bit like any exercise. It's like the consistency of just doing it will, um, will really, I think, really make a difference. It's worked for us. I wish sometimes Mark and I did it more often. We kind of do it a bit in the podcasts, yeah, in our yeah. How to Stay Married yeah. podcast. We do, and, and we do. We have to sit opposite each other for half an hour, 45 minutes, and talk about our relationship. Most people don't get that chance, or mm. don't give their relationship that chance. Can I, I just think, say, but, yes, sorry. oh sorry, and on the last one, am I right to have concerns or should I just let go of my worries and enjoy this new journey? I think it's in between those two things. I think to say just let go of all your concerns is clearly mad because you've had this life experience. Mm. But I think being able to let go, step in a little bit to the vulnerability, you obviously work, want to be in this relationship, the two of you, you've gone through lots of highs and lows. And just and then try and enjoy the journey a bit more together. That's why. And also, finally, something I'm, I, I kind of I haven't really articulated very clearly, but I'm tr I want to get across is sometimes the amount of time in someone's sobriety can become a real albatross around the neck of both the sober person, but also the person living with the addict, recovering addict, alcoholic. And what I mean by that is. Don't allow yourselves to feel the pressure or be, in a sense, starstruck by just the numbers because on, there's a huge pressure for the sober person who feels after so long I should have it all so sorted and I should be able to be walking the walk and talking the talk in every single area of your life. I shouldn't be feeling these things. 
That's not the case at all. And there's also huge pressure on the partner who doesn't want to be taking away from what looks like on paper is a very, very powerful achievement. So, you know, sometimes it's a great thing, the amount of time one's been sober, but sometimes it can become something within the, the cut and thrust of the day-to-dayness of a relationship where you're used to sobriety. It can become something that is, it can, can almost become a bit of a burden or potentially a bit of a kind of... It, it will prevent, say, Nadia from feeling she can be a bit more critical about my behaviour because she doesn't want to take away from what I've managed to do. But, you know, it, it, every day of your life as a family struggling or living with sobriety, you know, every day is a new day and every day will present, you know, different problems. But you will also be using some of the old behaviours in that day, so you will be behaving in an alcoholic fashion. Some days you won't. So it's just be be kinder and be more flexible with yourself. Because I think sometimes I do worry about people who are the partners of addicts and alcoholics almost feeling like it's not nice of them to pull someone up on their behaviour or their attitude or their mood or, the, or where they're at because they've done so well. Look, they've been... And it's true, they have mm. done so well, but... I think, it, I think it's great to acknowledge that. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think that the partners of people that are struggling with sobriety or are in sobriety or, and struggling with their mental health. Mm. I mean, I know I certainly do it. I think, oh, God, well, you know, I, I don't have to deal with all of that. And, and that's good to be like that. But there's got to be a balance with yeah. also taking into account your own needs because where there is a recovering alcoholic <clears throat> addict, there is somebody that is rescuing mm. because that in itself is another whole pool game. Mm. But I would suggest, yeah, what Mark's talking about is dry drunk. Mm. Like somebody can still have all the behaviours that led them to drink to suppress those behaviours. And Mark and I will often have these conversations where I, you know, and if you're in that eggshelly place where you feel like you can't say anything, you know, or if you know all about dry drunk, then, you know, forgive us. But if you don't, maybe read up a little bit on that and maybe that's mm. something you could bring to the table in your chat with your husband. Mm. Mm. But please let us know yeah. how you get on. If you decide to do this weekly um, chat... We really love to know how it how it goes for you, and um, please do stay in touch. Yeah, and um, and then also maybe one day we could have a photo of the baby as well. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that. As okay. I said, it, 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 it you know what's lovely. Another thing that's lovely for us about this podcast is that it you know it brings up to us the stuff that we have worked on, the stuff we've still got to work on. So it's not just like, oh, we're here just like sharing because we're sorted. It, you feed us back as well, and it's really, Well, and, and, and the classic case in point there is it's made me, re, you know, rethink, because one thinks about it, but one gets on with living, don't you? You get on with life, you're just doing stuff. And, uh, you know, it's easy for me to forget sometimes that, you know, what an onerous at times task it is for my partner to have had to be alongside someone who's who's had to go through all the things that one has to go through to get to 18 years. Yes, we talk about the addict, but also for the partner, you know, for the partner, it's, 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 it's a massive deal. And, you know, you can't deny your feelings in these things. But equally, going back to the thing I was saying about men and babies, and it's a thing, you know, men have fears, men have guilt, men have shame, men have a disconnect men get depressed there is a i swear to god there is postnatal depression for men too it's just it's not as there's not as much of a physical aspect to it necessarily to to, to say that it doesn't exist is clearly insane because it doesn't recognize the deep well, and huge emotion that goes on for fatherhood. both parents when it's just that it's not hormonal Okay, this one, this one really, this next uh, note, which is very short, or, or kind of dilemma, if you like, or question, really 
stood out to me uh, this week for some reason. Um, hi, Nadra Mark. I'm 22 years old, male, and my question is to you both this. Did you ever feel lonely when you were in your 20s? Or were you happy in your 20s? And what advice would you give to your younger selves? Um, and then this person also says it was lovely to have met you in Adia too at Birmingham. Oh, <laughs> oh. I'm not saying much more because you might so want to lovely. stay anonymous. It was so lovely meeting people. It really, really was. So if I met you on the Loose Women Tour, honestly, we came off stage and we were like, oh my God, how amazing was it to actually meet the audience up close and personal? It mm. was, yeah, so thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, loneliness, 20s. I think the reason, can I just lead quickly with why I thought this, 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 this kind of really stood out to me. Ostensibly, in my 20s, I was at college for the first two years, became a parent. So 21 and 22, I was still studying, ending my first degree, start, went to film school. 23, had a baby, entered the industry as an editor. 24, 25, 26, relationship founded, fell apart, we tried to get back together. By 27, 28, had another child. 29, hitting 30, wow, wow. A lot was going on there. I came across a lot of people. I created two people, partially created two people, put two wonderful people in this world. Um, and so there were a lot of people around me. And yet, if I, when I read this, I thought, oh my God. I was so lonely throughout all my 20s. All of them. It's why, um, it's why I became a father, probably. It's why my addiction took root. It's why probably some of the things that I've discovered embedded the causes of many of my mental health conditions from a much younger age allow, could become entrenched and, and, and get, be, be snaked and snake around drinking and drug taking. Um, workaholism crept in, um, constant relationships between the main relationships crept in, fear. Do you think you were lonely before that? Do you I think was, you were lonely as a I child? I was not lonely. Uh, that's a really difficult question. I felt... But I think you sound like you were lonely when you talk about your childhood. Yeah, but I, you know, there were periods where I had lots of friends, but I backed off because they backed off. No, I mean, this isn't about how many friends you've got. You can be in a full. No, 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 no. I get that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, mm. in my twenties, there were lots of friends. There were. Lot, I was socialising all the bloody time. But I've, you know, around all of this, but it was chaotic. So, the long and the short of it is, have I ever not been lonely? Probably not. I didn't feel as lonely when I was in my first have relationship you ever with not Jane. Been lonely? Sorry, what was that question you just asked yourself? Have I ever not been lonely? Probably not. Um, I, I felt least lonely when I was in my first relationship with my first girlfriend. Uh, but that was because I felt like I'd found almost a sibling. Family. Yeah, 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 family. Um, and so when I read this, I was like, wow, yeah, because everyone fucking goes on about how your 20s are supposed to be fucking brilliant and exciting and fantastic and, and wow, go... and. It's not to say that there weren't lots of things in there like that that happened, you know, film school, graduating, job, you know, all of this stuff becoming apparent. Yeah, of course, that was all exciting. But actually, it's that funny thing when you look back, oh my God, I felt so alone. Mm. So alone. I think this is an, an interesting, a really good problem because I think we sometimes worry, don't we, when we get people like message us and say oh like relationship goals or mm. this goals or this goal that 
and and you know we are very honest on our social media and we do talk about a lot of stuff but we still appear to be i'm painfully aware that we might appear to be just so sorted and so you know and 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 nobody is nobody is sorted i spend so much time talking to our daughters about how the way that you are feeling when you go into this party, or way that you might be feeling when you walk into the room, way that you might feel. I guarantee you that if you look around the room and everybody looks totally sorted and totally cool and totally fine, that 90% of them are going to be feeling something similar to you. Because the whole of so much of life is about an act. Everyone's faking it to make it. And somebody could have a hundred friends and be lonely. So loneliness is something that goes on deep inside of us. I think we carry it in us. And like why I asked Mark if he'd been lonely as a child, it's because I very much feel that he has always been lonely. It's something deep inside of him. There is a loneliness in him. It's a loneliness... Like, Mark and I could have a moment, like, we could have a really lovely hug or a lovely kiss, and straight away, he will say something very, like, usually something very sad or something very scary about death or something. And it's him plummeting back into the loneliness. He carries it in him. And yet you could see him on Instagram, you see him on Coffee Money, you see him in his life here, and you wouldn't look at him and think that Mark is lonely, but... It's nothing to do with people liking him or not liking him. There is a loneliness that is in you. <clears throat> so I think there's that kind of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I think often people that I've known that carry that loneliness in them like you do, it's often been because that in their childhood they didn't feel they didn't feel loved or, or, or seen or heard. I'm not saying that of you, I'm saying just, just often people with that kind of loneliness, they, there's been a lack of being seen. Mm. Um, and I think but, that's why, I think, sorry to, to cut across that just for a moment, and I think that's possible, because it's curious, isn't it? When you look at what's mm. being said, did you ever feel lonely or were you happy? It's not like you, I'm presuming you're struggling with the nature of what you should be or could be or want to be maybe in your 20s. And I think it's, it's interesting what Nat says there, because um, lo- it's a really difficult dividing line between loneliness and being alone. Through, by sheer dint of experience, I've got used to knowing how I can be on my own. Um, so I can find it kind of quite agreeable to be alone. But, I, I, but then I can be lonely very, very... I can I feel lonely very fast. I don't think lonely is necessarily about being alone for you. Loneliness is something that you carry in you. And, and as I say, I, I think that's very difficult because there's a lot of work that has to be done and digging up to where mm. that comes from. But... But but on the loneliness of like not of, of of finding it difficult to make friends and make connections and if you're a shy person mm. and you feel like the only way to have friends is to be like everybody else to be loud to be I think that's another kind of loneliness mm. or or if you're a an overthinker where and that's caused you to be lonely because everything you do and everything you say you overthink about it and then you just think well rather than go out I'll just isolate I'll just stay at home rather than have the horror of after going out and overthinking which is what I used to do I was very lonely in my 20s I was a drinking maniac 
I drank on my loneliness, I parted on my loneliness, I surrounded myself in people in my loneliness, and I would go to a very dark place where I was the life and soul of the party or I didn't pick up my phone to anyone. And people would send me messages and they'd be crying. They would write me letters saying, what have I done that you've just completely cut me out and not answered me? And it was nothing to do with what they'd done. It was to do with me needing to shrink back mm. into this place where I could just be lonely and quiet and not have to hide it. So, you know, I too carried the loneliness in me. But if you saw me, you'd go, oh, God, Nadia, mm. oh, and she's got like loads of men that are interested and she's partying and she's... But I felt lonely and I drank so heavily because I didn't know what to do with that feeling. So my, my, big, my big answer to this would be try not to be... to allow yourself to be overwhelmed with the thought that everybody else is having the best time of their lives because mm. so many people of faking it i am your classic person everyone always says to me oh but you're always so happy oh my god but you're a good time girl but oh yeah i was faking it it was fake and on the thing of were you lonely or were you happy the one thing that i fully took me and all my adult life to truly understand is happiness is just moments nobody is just happy but did you, know that? Just but happy you didn't know that in your time. 20s though did you I just thought that I, if I wasn't happy all the time, there was something tragically wrong with my life. And the thing is, happiness just comes in moments through your day if you're lucky. I think, I think what we need to do, I think there needs to be a campaign to say it's absolutely fine and actually okay to be lonely. Because I think the whole thing about loneliness is it's the pressure of others. It's the pressure of appearances. It's the pressure of of what people around you, in the media, in adverts, socially, in institutions, everything is selling you this kind of community and inclusivity and, co and connectivity mm, and connection. But I don't know if that's right because I think there's I think a difference between being alone, yeah. which nobody should be, but the very word lonely means you are unhappy mm. with not... With, by being alone. No, but what I'm saying is, is that I think the, but the, the condition... We've got to remove of, the shame from No, it. but I think that's my point. But I think the condition of loneliness is a very normal condition to feel in a crowd, not in a crowd, in a group, not in a group. It is part of the human condi condition. I mean, I don't want to start getting all quoted, quote but, you know, we, we, we come into this world alone and we leave this world alone. We are... It is us. And yes, we make strive to make connections. We have families and all that kind of stuff. If you looked at me in my 20s, wow... He was this go-get-it, family man, fat, beautiful kid, da-da-da-da, had all of this, travelling the world, da-da-da. Lonely, 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 doesn't even come close to it. And it was in my 20s where all of the kind of, uh, you know, the foundations of, of what would explode in my face uh, at the age of 34, it's where it was all laid and it's where it was all found. So I, I, what I would say to you is, you know... Try and take the attack dogs off your own back if you're feeling it in your 20s. You're right. Society and socially, there's a lot of pressure. I've heard so many young adults around our kids and some of our kids say, my God, why do they say this is supposed to be the best years of your life? It's These are narratives. These are fake, fraudulent narratives <clears throat> promoted by a system and a society that needs those myths to be sort of, you know, nurtured. Uh, in order to get everyone to kind of just kind of like, you know, obediently live their lives in a, in a certain sort of way. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, I look think at, most people would have like periods of loneliness. I was lonely. 
I was really lonely in my teens. I was lonely in my twenties. Mm. Mm. I I had a lot of loneliness in my early thirties. I didn't have that darkness. I I was I was lone. I got lonely, very lonely, when I had uh, the girls. I think some of the loneliest times were like when I was breastfeeding at night, and I would just feel this panicked loneliness. Mm. And when I was tired, and then and also when I'd had you know. When I'd had, I remember when I had our first child, I just felt so lonely. It was terrifying mm. because I just felt I'm not going to be able to do this. I don't know how to do this. I think when we, when you were before you admitted that you were an alcoholic, terribly lonely time because I couldn't talk mm. to anyone about it. Um, very lonely times in my many menopause because I just felt disconnected from myself. Mm. So I felt lonely within myself. You know, that mm. was a weird one. Mm. And um, a very lonely around the time of Mark's diagnosis of bipolar. And I think I feel sometimes... Sorry, it's taking me by surprise. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I think sometimes the points that I feel the loneliness most keenly is when I don't know how to, you know, help when you're very low with your own mental health because. There isn't anyone I can talk to about it, but I feel, you know, that I feel would understand, but I've got this amazing capacity to feel that kind of loneliness and then I'll just snap. And all my life I've kept thinking, well, I suddenly drop dead because I can do this thing where I just switch back to being okay. <laughs> and I've actually realised now, loads of people in life have tried to tell me, mm, that's not good for you, What the way you can do that. But actually, I think it's a gift sent to me from God, and actually, I do trust it. And actually, right here, right now, in this minute, having felt very sad a moment ago, I actually do feel fine again. <laughs> <laughs> we just watched it happen. You just watched it happen. Oh. But I do feel very lonely. Oh my God, definitely the loneliest times when you are in a bad, when you are low. Because there's nobody you can talk to about that. You could, you know, if you were having a well, massive you, like, you mean row no one... with your husband or something, oh God, my husband's driving back. But you could never. Because I, I, you can't I, get into the sticky details of it all, you mean? Or... I just feel, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me or for you. Do you know right. what I mean? And yeah. that makes me feel sad sometimes because I feel like that's quite sad that I can... There's nobody that I can feel that I would talk to about that and they wouldn't... Mm. I no, what, I make feel sorry? I think it's almost like a, a protective thing of you and like a pride thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But, um, yeah, because if somebody were talking to me about at that kind of struggle I'd be totally open for listening but I just don't believe anybody else would be it's weird isn't it I suppose it's still it's still the taboo around mental health right right maybe yeah. <laughs> you're so perplexed well no I'm just I'm just trying to think I mean we I do take I, this I, bit out <laughs> I, I do sometimes feel that I sometimes 
I never cease to be amazed when I can get to a very deep into a very deep conversation or, or conversation can start to move towards a very deep place about this sort of stuff with someone. And then I look up for a moment and, and I don't mean like having been going on, got sort of like taking a sentence into the foothills of something that we would perhaps kind of understand was a problem or we needed to. And when I look at the person opposite me, they're absolutely like they need an A to Z just to get through that exactly. whatever. And that's not, exactly. not a criticism and of them. Not, it's like, just... People what? don't know. Before we got onto this mental health journey and understanding our mm. own mental, my ADHD, your mm. depression, I didn't know a bloody thing about it. Mm. So it's not even like, it's just you can't be bothered to fill in everything. No, no. You know, like I remember when I said to my mum that you had bipolar two, she says, oh my God, what, there's a bipolar one and a bipolar two. And mm. I went, yeah, mum. But she just, it was just her response, like, Oh, you, she knew nothing about what I was talking about. But she thought, oh, God, is this another thing where people go, eh, 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 eh. But yeah. obviously when I explained it to her, she was like, all right, so the two different conditions. Yeah. You know, it's not, oh, me just saying, oh, he's got a one or a two. Mm. You know? It's not like a degree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so I suppose that's what it is. I don't think this is, this is the truth of it. Everybody is getting on with their lives. Oh, my God. God, this bloody door! Wait there, I'll get it. I'm back. Uh, this is the problem. Everyone, you know, I think, oh God, everyone's getting on with their lives. Nobody's got time to get... This is such a big subject. Mm, mm. Mental health and loneliness around... I can't... I can't have somebody not completely understand it. That's yeah. what it is. And you'd rather not have the I'd conversation rather, rather yes. than them have a really abridged not in any way doing justice to yeah. the layers of complication involved. Conversation. Yeah. 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 And, and it's why ultimately we all now need to just say to each other, yeah, I'm fine. False information, exactly. nicely expressed. But why have we <laughs> gone into all of this in such detail? I think it's because deep in us, we have such a sense of responsibility with who we are out here on social media and we would never want anybody to think that we are not lonely, we are not this, we are not... Because mm. we are. We mm. it, Everybody experiences all these things and it's part of life's rich fucking tapestry. Mm. But people that, like, you know... Like, I don't know about you who's sent us this problem. We don't know enough detail about you. Or we don't... Or, or we're thinking about somebody that's lost a partner and their friends have sort of mm. dissipated and people have moved away. And you're, you're talking about that tick-tock of a clock mm. with not another voice to hear you or to hear your own voice. Mm. That is another level mm. of loneliness mm. that is agonising because when I just there got really upset about my loneliness, went to that place and then just got back into my life, I have the privilege of doing that. Mm. But when you don't have the privilege of a single person you can call or a single person that is going to call you, that is a kind of pain and that is just horrible. And that's where I think it takes a village, just as people, we have to notice the person that nobody ever talks to at work or the the kid that is like kind of a bit in the corner. We, we have to be more human about mm. that. Invite the person that you wouldn't really invite because actually they're very quiet and you don't really know them and it's a bit awkward. Mm. Invite them and then when you've invited them, talk to them a bit because often the shy and quiet person is the person that has the most interesting things to say. And in answer to your question, yes, I had the ticking clock loneliness in my 20s for swathes of time. And, and that is hard. It is, it is mm. you know, you know. so if, even if there's just some comfort in knowing, it's very, very ordinary and normal to experience that. That is kind of what we're trying to say as well. Yeah.
And for oh, those God. people that don't have a single mm. person, I, I, you know, we, it's unimaginable. But there are so many places that you can reach out to. There are, and it is about pushing yourself sometimes and just, you know, doing, joining something, doing something, forcing yourself mm. to make those first few steps is, is very hard. Um, but you never know, there might be, there might be rewards at the end of it. Um, and I do apologise, I've had to take a cough medicine sweet so I don't cough all over this, the end of this podcast. And that breathing <laughs> is our dog, it's not me. Um, so, so thank um, you everyone. That's it for us today. Sorry for all the interruptions, I think our door went off like four We'll have trimmed them times. out so you won't have felt them as much as we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I say, please subscribe, tell all your friends, like us if you like us and please do keep sending in your problems. Do we put the link under the here? The link is below. The link Absolutely. is below.